Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, give them back to God. Today we honor our birth moms and adoptive moms and stepmoms and foster moms and grandmothers and we're grateful for all of you. The most frightening task that any of us will ever undertake is the attempt to be a good parent, a good mother, or a good father. Despite all the pondering of heart and soul in the nine months preceding or in the case of adoption could be a few months or years, you're never ready. You try to be prepared, but how do you really prepare yourself for a job this big? Preparing your heart and your mind is not easy. It's not as easy as the material preparations. Oh, it's easy enough to paint the nursery pink or blue or yellow if you're going to be surprised or take those little plastic safety plugs and put them in the electrical outlets or assembling the crib. Those preparations are mechanical. But they do not get the heart ready for the great adventure of being a mother or a father. The first few days after the exhilaration of the birth has waned, maybe your thoughts went something like this. I know mine did. I've written them as if I am a young father speaking to his new son. Of course, in reality, God did me a little better than that. He gave me three girls, but we'll pretend I'm the the father, a young father of sons today. But boys or girls, it doesn't matter. The feelings are the same. God, we spent so much time picking his name. We want him to have a good name. Names seem awfully important. And we thought if he had a good name, he'd turn out to be a good man. Lord, I'm not sure why you have chosen me for so great a task to take care of one of your little ones until he's big enough to be on his own. I know I'm not chosen because I'm particularly good or smart, especially equipped for this task, because I know that some of your greatest servants are never assigned this responsibility of being a parent. You use them in other ways. But you have chosen me for this task. I thought I understood what love was until I first held my own child. And now we know for the first time how much our parents loved us. How ungrateful we have been at times for their sacrifices. How much we owe our parents for their love and devotion. And God, now that I, I hold my own baby, maybe I realize for the first time how you care for me. But God, this is such a big responsibility for the next 20 years. And does it really stop at that? If I'm 92 and he dies at age 70, I think I will grieve just as much, maybe more than if I had lost him as an infant. For by then, he'll not only be my son, but he'll be my best friend as well. God, there is a way 
It's asking me to be a, a parent. Oh, God, you've asked me to walk around with my heart exposed. There's no more protection. There's no more shelter, no more playing it safe. It's raw now. My heart, my nerves, my feelings, you have made me awfully vulnerable as a father. Every time he has a fever, I'm going to worry and I'm going to pace back and forth and pray until the fever breaks for the rising of the sun. Or what if it seems like he's developing more slowly than his peers? I'll, I'll ponder something must be terribly wrong. And God, I've seen you give special children to, to special families who've changed those families in such powerful ways. It's a mystery, the assignments you give to us. But Lord, I ask you, as I start on this task of trying to be a dad, if you, if you have a chance to choose, I, I want you to make me sick instead of him. I want you to make me hurt instead of him. From this day forward, my life will hold a lot of grieving. You've given me this job as a dad, but basically you've asked me to work my way out of a job. And those first steps that he takes at about a year old, we will all clap and cheer when he does them. But at night, in the dark, in the bed, we might have moist eyes because now we realize he doesn't need us quite as much anymore. And just about the time we get his schedule worked out, it'll be time for school to start. Will his teacher love him like we love him Will she understand that sometimes he just can't sit there in his seat all day long? Will she understand that he's not really a bad kid, that he just doesn't like green beans? Will he remember that because of his asthma, he can't run as fast as the other boys at recess and he can't be pushed? It's not a good idea. And those big yellow buses seem awfully large for a little boy to be walking around God I like to keep him safe just put him in a capsule but I can't he has to go out in this cruel harsh world and every time he leaves he makes a bigger circle away from us every time and then then one day he'll get his driver's license my insurance will go way up Lord, do you know, Lord, do you have any idea how fast they drive on I-40? And Lord, have you ever tried to take the Georgia on-ramp onto I-40? <laughs> Whoever designed that and why they designed it that way, one blink and crash. Well, Lord, to tell the truth, a race car driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr. couldn't make it on the on-ramp on Georgia. The older he gets, Lord, the dumber he's going to think I am. He wants to make his own decisions. I, I know I treat you that way, Lord, sometimes. And you're my all-knowing heavenly Father. Father, I want to believe in him. I want to trust he's going to do all the right things. That he's going to make good choices as he goes through life. Yet I realize you have trusted me and I've not always made the best choices. Father, give me the wisdom to teach him both about law and grace. 
that the law warns him that there are certain boundaries. If he crosses those boundaries, it will be hurtful to him. And yet I want him to know whatever happens, he can come and drink from God's goblet of grace. Law and grace, may he know them both. God, there are going to be those times when I need to tell him no. Like those times when you need to tell me no. And he's going to ask and beg and plead. He's going to think that he knows what's best for him. Just like you tell me no, sometimes God, give me the strength to tell him no. The world we live in is so cruel, God. Look what the world did to your own son, Jesus. You didn't make it this way. We did. We broke your creation. I will lie awake in my bed at night a thousand times and play the what-if game. What if he doesn't come home tonight till the appointed time? And how many nights will I toss and turn, wondering and waiting to hear the car pull in, the garage go up and the door shut, to know he's safe and sound at home? The next two decades, I'm going to make thousands of decisions Today, I'm going to make a dozen decisions that will impact his future. I'm going to need your wisdom. I'm going to need the gift of your grace. God, I'm way too scared to do this parenting thing by myself. You've given me the task, but I need you to be with me. Lord, right now, I want to give you back this, your son. He is dedicated to you. Oh, God, thank you for the gift of a son, but I know truly he doesn't belong to me. He has always belonged to you and always will. Oh, God, he's not ours. He's your son. This morning, I want us to look at the story of Hannah again to see how it is that Hannah cared for her child, how she saw her duties as a mother. This morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture which a child is given by God to a devout mother who in turn gives the boy back to God. I want you to see that deep down your child is named Samuel too. Look at 1 Samuel 1. Chapter 1 and verse 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathaim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Azuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. I can stop right there and you know there's trouble, right? Before we go any further. <laughs> you get to that line, you go, uh-oh. And he had two wives. And one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Peninnah had children by Elkanah, but Hannah had none. Verse 3, now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, the two sons, Eli, 
of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came for Elkanah, that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. It was clear that though she bore no children, that Elkanah loved Hannah better than Peninnah, that we will call Penny from this moment forth in the sermon. The family went on an annual trip to Shiloh. It was a time of sacrifice, a time of a family feast. It was both worship and sacrifice and a feast on a yearly basis, a special act of worship to God. As part of the worship act, a portion of the meat was returned to the family, and the father would dole out the meat to the family. And when Penny went through, she got a decent portion with her children. But when Hannah came through, she got a double portion of the meat. We don't mean to, but sometimes we show favoritism in small ways. I had a very good-looking college roommate who was a bodybuilder, and we would go to the Lander College cafeteria, and we'd go through the line, and every time I would get the chicken wing, and he would get the chicken breast every single time. And he would look over me at grin, and we knew that the cafeteria lady liked James a lot better than she liked Howie, because I got the wing. He got the chicken breast. So it was with Hannah. Elkanah gave her an extra portion each sacrifice because she had no children, and he loved her the most. Now, Penny detested Elkanah's favoritism, verse 6 and 7, so much in verse 6 and 7, she badgered Hannah every moment, looking at her big piece of roast beef. She would badger her until Hannah had to excuse herself from the table, and she left weeping every single time. I can hear Penny talking like this at the table under her breath. Maybe Elkanah can hear it. Maybe he can't. Maybe he doesn't want to hear it. After all, Hannah, I am the mother of all of Elkanah's children. Well, you know, Hannah, not having any children of your own, I'm sure you wouldn't understand what I'm talking about. Oh, Hannah, please help extra with the chores when we get back because the reality is I'm pregnant so often and I just need some help. Hannah, I wonder if my next child will be a man child or a woman child. Want to guess? Want to guess what my next kid will be? Oh, Hannah, the Lord has seen fit to bless me again. My husband will be delighted. My husband will be delighted with the news. After all the taunts and innuendos, Hannah was surely reduced to tears. And she left, the scripture says, without even eating a meal. Look at the end of verse 7. She would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Verse 10 and 11. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy maidservant and remember me and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And it came about, verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Look at verse 15. This has never jumped out to me before, but it did this week. The end of verse 15. 
I have poured out my soul before the Lord. In fact, the priest Eli thinks she's drunk. She's in there praying and saying, God, if you will give me a son, I will return that son to you. She's making a bargain with God, and she is weeping and crying. And just verse 15, she poured out her soul before the Lord. Sometimes all of us need that closet of prayer where we go and we shut the door. We're alone with the Lord, and we pour out our soul before the Lord. Well, Hannah's doing that. Eli thinks she's drunk, and she says, Oh, no, I am asking God for a son. Lord, if you'll only give me a child, I'll give him back to you. Samuel, the child that belongs to God. Is that not the way that it should always be? Isn't your child, isn't he or she a Samuel too? Aren't our children simply on loan from God? Don't think for a moment that that baby born into your family is a thing to be clutched or kept. No, your babies are gifts from God. They're to be returned to him. The moment your child is in your arms... All of your time and your energy and your effort is focused on training that child to flourish on his own. We teach that baby to feed himself, to walk. We try to give values to our children in order that they may choose right over wrong by their own volition. And all of our energies are are focused on that devastating day when our child will no longer lay her head upon a pillow in her home. Our children are not property to possess, but a loan from God. In that long drive for some of us, it depends on where you're going. God bless the kids that stay here in Amarillo. We appreciate you. But some go a long ways away, eight hours away in the case of one of ours. Leaving that child off at college, that wrenching gut punch. You've built the boat now. Will it float? Will she follow the path of the principles you've taught her? It seems almost impossible. We can't just flip a switch and turn off her motherhood or our fatherhood. It's so ingrained in us. Are we ready to let our kids be free? Our children are not ours. Our children are Samuel too. Not only must we realize that as they reach maturity, we need to give our children back to God. But as Hannah concluded, God is even the owner of our little ones. Hannah, after Samuel is weaned, kept her vow. Now, moms, you think about that. She made a deal with God and As soon as Samuel could go and live in the temple and serve the Lord there, she would take him there to Shiloh and leave him there. So when Elkanah and the others are going, she says, I'm not going this year. I'm not going this year. When he is weaned, I will go, and I will leave him there. She never forgot this child was alone from God. How about you, mother? 
Have you come to the full realization that your little ones are on loan from God? That even as he has entrusted them to you, and even as Hannah took her child to the temple to develop a relationship of service with God, that you too are to bring your child to the temple, to the church, to the place of worship. There's not a parent in this room who would think about leaving their child at home tomorrow instead of going to elementary school. You wouldn't say, well, it's too rainy today on Monday, or we had an awfully busy day on Sunday, or, you know, our family's just tired today, so we're going to skip school tomorrow. In fact, a judge would say you're doing detrimental damage to your child and you're an unfit parent. And yet the same mothers and fathers use those same sorry excuses to allow their children to miss church, to miss their religious training on Sunday. I find it incredible that none of us would ever allow our child to get behind in reading and writing and arithmetic, the temporal things. And now when it comes to things that last forever, we take them so lightly. Would you allow your child to fall behind his peers in learning the stories of faith? Nothing, nothing is more important than you sharing your religious tradition and values with your child. I think about Hannah every year, the family would still make that journey till Shiloh and I imagine she would kind of find a, another boy in the village and, and hold up a robe she was making for, Sam, for Samuel for that year and, and did it fit and she would prepare it and each year she would take him some new garments she had prepared and couldn't wait to see Samuel again. Not only does your child need to learn to feed himself physically, he needs to learn to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. Not only does your child need agile motor skills, she needs to learn to run the race of faith. Not only does your child need to learn about the birth of Western civilization, he needs to learn that God has acted in history through the birth of his son. Parents, your children are gifts from God, entrusted to you for but a moment. For your care. And just as surely as Hannah returns Samuel to the house of worship, you in turn must bring your children to the house of God too. Parenting is the most awesome responsibility that any of us will ever have, and only when we realize the child is not ours, but rather entrusted to us to know the traditions of faith, then we can realize that our little girl, our little boy, is Samuel too. My mother sent me the following letter years and years and years ago on Father's Day. Dear Howie, I'm sorry the card is late, but the thoughts are not. 
I'm very proud of you and your role as a father and your other roles. I can remember holding you and feeding you your bottle while I prayed that you would be used by God in a special way. I gave you to him, and he has blessed me richly. It was so humbling to attend your church in Amarillo the first time and to see you do the children's sermon. It's hard for me to believe that my son, the son of a simple Mill Village girl, is a pastor of that great church. God has been good to me. Always know that I love you more than life itself. I know that you can understand that kind of love since you're a father now. You, Lisa, and your girls are something precious and rare. Always treasure your girls and put them first after God. Love, Mama. I'm a Samuel, but your child is too. Let us pray. Oh God, give us the wisdom to make good choices for our children. And there's no greater choice than having them here among your people who help us teach our children the stories of faith. They have not only their biological family, but to have a church family, a room full of brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents who love them and care them and will direct their little feet on the path of righteousness. Oh, God, forgive us when we've clutched our children and held them too tightly. Father, help us to realize that starting with day one, we're in the process of giving them back to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.